Hey everybody, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Hello, how are you doing? I am exhausted. I start school soon. Um, By the time this airs, I will have already started school. And I've read probably 10 hours worth of law school material over the past two days. And tomorrow I'm going to be reading probably another 10 to 12 hours. Wish me luck. I knew what I was getting myself into, so I can't really use that as an excuse. Reality is definitely setting in for law school. That is really the only thing, the only update I have as to my personal life. This is definitely going to be a two-part episode. When I started researching this, I thought, I mean, I knew the general gist of things, but I didn't realize, one, how long this had been going on, and two, the amount of just bs that went along with it i guess for lack of a better term so much unacceptable behavior happened and it yeah we're gonna get into it as you i mean i haven't said it yet but obviously you saw the title so this is going to be the volkswagen emission scandal and like i said this is going to be two parts part two is going to come out on monday so make sure you definitely tune in for both parts and i think we are just gonna get started i'm gonna start with the lead up to this scandal being uncovered. This this whole story starts with a man named Dan Carter. He is currently, and was at the time as well, the director of the Center for Alternative Fuels, Engines, and Emissions. From their website, they quote, work extensively on emission reduction research, particularly engine technologies, post-combustion technologies, after treatment evaluation, and fuel technologies, end quote. And like I said, that's directly from their website. So basically, they're doing work that is way above my head and way above probably a lot of people's heads. But it's important work. The center that he works at, they receive money from groups or organizations to conduct research to find answers. So if any of you are particularly uh, curious about random uh, emissions, maybe on your car or a car, and you have thousands of dollars you want to put into research, send it their way. In 2013, they received $70,000 from an environmental group called International Council on Clean Transportation. The original goal of this study was to show that car makers were able to meet stricter limits on emissions, such as harmful nitrogen oxides, At the time, the United States was becoming more strict on their emission guidelines for cars in terms of what, not only what, but how many pollutants could be put out into the air from cars, which is a good thing. I mean, I I think most people would probably not want a bunch of harmful chemicals in the air coming from our cars. I would just assume that we don't want things that cause cancer and heart disease and bronchitis and lung issues, all of those things in the air. I guess if you do want that, maybe maybe consider why you want that for yourself. Then, you know, just evaluate. 
but I would say most people probably <laughs> probably don't want that. I know I definitely don't want a bunch of emissions in the air. Like I said, they had received $70,000 for this research, and interestingly, the work that they were doing was more in-depth and complicated than they had initially expected. So Dan Carter had to come up with an additional about $30,000 to finish the project, which go Dan Carter, because as we're going to see, this uncovers a lot of just horribleness, but go Dan Carter and his team for the hard work. And before we dive in any further, I do just want to mention really quickly, there is an author from the New York Times, Jay Ewing, I think is how you say his last name. He must have been their go-to Volkswagen person when all of this was going on because he put out at least one super in-depth article per, per year covering updates on the scandal, new information that had come out, who was being implicated at that time. His research was so in-depth, so I got a lot of my information from him. I think how I'm going to do it is unless I specifically say a source from here on out, it's going to come from one of his articles. He's published articles every year, so his articles started in 2015 and go until 2021. If you want the breakdown of those years, you can find them in the show notes, which I will link at the end. Mr. Ewing from the New York Times, your work is incredible. Um, I'm not including all of the details that he put his heart and soul into because one, I don't want to steal his work, even though I'm getting giving him credit. And also it would be such a long podcast to talk about all of the nitpicky details. Um, but I'm giving you the key information that you will still be able to fully understand what happened. So what this research project would do is they would essentially put a mobile laboratory into a car and drive it. Um, one of the quotes from Ewing's article, quote, Flexible tubes sucked exhaust from the tailpipes and fed the gas into a mysterious gray box sitting on a slab of plywood in the car's cargo area. Bolted to the plywood was the portable generator needed to power the whole mess. It stank and made an infernal, infernal rack. Oh my goodness. Infernal racket, end quote. Reading is difficult. I'm sure it was just ridiculous inside that car with all those tubes and those boxes just making a bunch of noises, but they were doing important, important work, like we said. They were doing this with different vehicles, and they eventually noticed that emissions from a Volkswagen Jetta and Passat were way higher than what they should have been, keeping in mind the legal limits of the emissions. Originally, two grad students on the project, Mark Besh and Arvind Thruvengadam, I believe is how you say his last name, they thought that their equipment might be malfunctioning, and one of the reasons why they thought that is they had to stop a lot and fix the equipment or, like, rewire it or something to so where it could work. So they are like, ah, oh, it's probably just our equipment because, like, we've got a big box and wires and things happening in this car. I can definitely understand why they thought it was uh, their their machinery, but it turns out it was a lot more than that, and it wasn't even their machinery because it was reading correctly. But they kept getting these findings, so they're like, hmm, that's weird. I don't know about that. Probably not our machinery, but we have these weird findings, but we don't really know what's going on. So in 2014, the findings were presented at a conference in San Diego. The results caught the interest of members from the California Air Resources Board, board, there we go, which from now on I'm going to just reference as CARB, 
which no, not carbo loading, just carb. This agency, they had worked with with the group from West Virginia before and carb was like, hmm, that's interesting. So they got their own group together to investigate what was going on and why these readings were so high because they should not have been if the emission uh, standards were being met. In the report that was presented at that conference in San Diego, no one was accusing Volkswagen of anything or any wrongdoing. Instead, the report was rather like, hey, look at these strange things we found, but we don't really know what happened here. Haha, <laughs> that's weird. One person in particular from CARB, Mr. Ayala, I believe is how you say it, Mr. Ayala, he was bothered. He was like, homies, this is not right. So he gathered up various Volkswagen vehicles to test. What his little experiment found was that there was something wrong, for sure. Something was not right in, in the Volkswagen cars that he tested. But still at this point, there was no blame being targeted directly at Volkswagen. So just, just, just so we're clear, the group who ran these tests were out of a West Virginia university they presented their findings at a conference in San Diego, which is where they got the attention of CARB officials and Mr. Ayala. He was like, hey, that's weird. And now he ran his own tests and found similar findings. The only reason I'm taking the time to clarify it is because there are a lot of names in this story. So I'm going to do that periodically throughout so we can like try and refresh to make sure we're all on the same page. So we're in California is where we're at right now. Volkswagen, they had a technical facility in Los Angeles, so CARB would go to present their results, to which Volkswagen would run tests and then they would present their results. There was just a lot of back and forth going on. Mr. Mr. Ayala described Volkswagen as becoming dismissive, which grew his frustration and probably his suspicion with the entire situation, because if you're reporting a problem you to a major company or anybody, you wouldn't want them to be dismissive. You'd be like, you know what? Thanks for bringing that to our attention. We're definitely going to look into that, especially considering what you're saying could like be breaking the law if we were doing that on purpose. I would want them to be like, you know what? We appreciate you bringing this to our attention. We're going to look into it. Customer service 101, even though the customer is not always right, but customer service 101, just like be nice. Don't be dismissive. Eventually through this back and forth, there was a big stalemate. So a conference was agreed upon between people at CARB and people at Volkswagen. Here come some more names into the story. Two of the people from Volkswagen were named Mr. Schmidt and Stuart Johnson. Plans were unveiled to recall diesel cars starting in 2009 to update the software engine. Volkswagen said, quote, the new software incorporates the latest engineering experiences to enhance the efficiency, end quote. And when they're talking about the, the efficiency, excuse me, they're referring to the pollution control equipment, which has to do with emissions, which again, is the whole thing, is the whole reason why we're here. The emissions are too high out of these cars. So Volkswagen is like, hey, you know what? Thanks for bringing that to our attention. We're going to update the engine software so we can fix that, which cool. Like that's a, that's a, a good starting point. And this timeline is important because, so this promise was accepted, and because of this, 2015 models of diesel cars were allowed to go on sale in the United States. So because of Volkswagen's seemingly welcomed response in terms of, yeah, we are definitely going to try and fix this problem, they were like, okay, cool, you're allowed to sell your 2015 models of diesel cars. Dun dun dun! Extra cars in the country! <sighs> 
that are probably not doing the right things. Okay, so about, like I said, they were going to upgrade the engine software. So about 280,000 cars were upgraded and the emissions in those cars that were upgraded were lowered. However, even though they were upgraded, they still did not meet the standards that they were supposed to be meeting. CARB, not surprisingly, they were not happy about this. What they demanded was they were like, hey, since you said you fixed this, and your cars still aren't meeting our emission standards, let us see the code that is going into the new models of your car, and let's see how it compares with the old models of your car. Because if your new cars are meeting the emission standards, why can't you make sure your code in your older cars is also like similar enough to meet the emission standards? I'm also just going to say I'm not a car expert. I have no idea how engines worked. I learned a little bit through doing this research. I'm pretty ignorant in terms of mechanical things. I'm just going off of what the research said. So if I misspeak, about a technical engine thing, maybe that is out of my expertise. At this point, they were wanting to see the code in the engines. Without seeing the code, CARB officials were like, you know what, you're not going to be able to sell your new models of cars in California, which is a huge deal. One thing I learned through this research is that California shares clean air standards with about a dozen other states, such as New York and a couple other big ones. So if California is not allowing cars or certain models of cars to be sold in that state, that in turn means there's going to be about a dozen other states that are not going to sell that, that specific model of the car, which is obviously going to hurt Volkswagen sales across the country. At this point, word of all of this is getting back to Volkswagen. This is getting the attention of a lot of people, and it's clearly not just a simple fix. There was a committee created to discuss what was happening over in the United States because uh, Volkswagen is headquartered in Germany. This committee, quote, decided to create a task force to achieve fast and effective de-escalation of the issues with officials, end quote. And that was from an internal memo. Here comes another person. Mr. Winterkorn, which also awesome last name, Winterkorn, amazing. He was the chief executive of Volkswagen. He was briefed by engineers about the entire situation. It was later said in court documents that Mr. Winterkorn didn't really understand the entire situation about the scandal, which um, I don't know about that. We'll see. I don't know. We talk about it later. I can't remember which part it's going to be in, but we'll talk about it. From the side of people in the United States, such as people in CARB, there was continuing frustration with the situation because there really didn't seem to be any good answers about what was happening, and frankly, it was just a lot of things not happening. Bringing back two people from earlier, Mr. Johnson and Mr. Schmidt, the two men from Volkswagen, they asked, to meet with Mr. Ayala. When they met with him, they brought a thick binder of technical information and they spent time going over it with Mr. Ayala. Even though Mr. Ayala felt pretty kind of like, this is kind of shady up until this point, like what's going on, they brought all this technical information and he felt somewhat satisfied with it because it was a lot of information that he didn't have access to before. He accepted the binder full of information and took it with him. After this meeting had happened, Mr. Schmidt wrote an email to his supervisors saying that even though Mr. Ayala seemed satisfied with the answers that they had provided him, uh, Mr. Ayala was a little upset about the length that it took for Volkswagen to respond, like the length of time. Mr. Schmidt also recommended that Volkswagen put out a news release about how Volkswagen was planning to fix their emission issues. 
Hint, hint, they didn't take any of this advice, which is going to come back to bite them in the butt way later on. Mr. Ayala, he brought this binder full of information back to his technical team, and they ran the information for about a week. So after they were done running all of this information, their conclusion was none of it made sense. His engineers were like, you know what, Mr. Ayala, this doesn't make sense with the data that they gave us. None of this is adding up. There's really only one explanation left, and it had to be a defeat device in the car. And Mr. Ayala, when his engineer said that, he said that he had never heard that term before and didn't really know what it meant. So he was like, what the heck? So Carb kept putting pressure on Volkswagen, and at this point, Volkswagen didn't really have a lot left to say because they were running out of answers. What you're getting now is leading up to the scandal. There's a lot of information that chronologically happens in with this timeline that's going to be in the second part because, like I said, a lot of this is going on behind the scenes. So I want to make sure that you know what was happening from the public's perspective and CARB's perspective before we dive into the nitty-gritty of all the cover-ups. CARB kept putting pressure uh, on Volkswagen, and at this point, like I said, there really wasn't a lot left to say from Volkswagen. Mr. Johnson met with Mr. Ayala at another time and finally admitted that yes, Volkswagens had a defeat device in them. Dun-dun-dun! So you may be asking yourself, what is a defeat device? Because I was also asking myself that same question when I started doing the research, just because I knew that something had to do with the emission scandal, but I had no idea what a defeat device was. When a car gets tested for emissions, they are usually tested under a set of circumstances that generally are always the same, but test the cars at different levels. So this is not the exact numbers, but cars, let's see, may be tested for their emissions going at 30 miles an hour, and then 50 miles an hour, and then 70 miles an hour. And there's a, essentially what I'm getting at is there's a set, there is usually a set of conditions that are met for each emissions test. So it, it, it can be detected is the main point. It's usually a set of circumstances that if you programmed something, it could probably detect it. And that's exactly what the defeat device did. The defeat device was software that could sense when it was being tested for emissions. What the software would do is it would activate equipment that would reduce the emissions from the car down to lower levels. When the car wasn't being tested, and again, that defeat device, when it sensed that it wasn't being tested, it was just being driven on the road, you know, just being driven wherever, the software would turn down the equipment in the engine, so the emissions would would increase. By doing this, by turning down the engine software, it also improved the car's torque, acceleration, and saved on fuel, which, don't get me wrong, I'm all for a fuel efficient car, but if the fuel efficient car is going to be putting out, you know, higher than legal limits of emissions, I'm okay paying a little extra money for gas <laughs> rather than putting cancerous or carcinogens uh, in the atmosphere. So basically, they were cheating on a test. The example I thought of was if you had two kids in school, one of them had a pen that was just a regular pen, and one of them had a pen that was programmed to tell when a piece of paper was an official test. So one person would actually be taking the test, 
But when that other programmed pen discovered it was the test, it would write all of the answers for the student. Obviously, that's not like a real thing that happens, I don't think. But that that was my little example that was related that I could come up with to try and illustrate this. They were cheating on a test. They were cheating the system, which not okay. Don't cheat the system. Because of this, the emissions were higher, but how high, how much higher were they? They were 40 times above the legal limit. They were putting out more than 40 or around 40 times the legal emissions, which the emission standards are there, in my opinion, for a good reason to help prevent harmful chemicals being put into the atmosphere, such as nitrogen oxides. Nitrogen oxides can cause bronchitis, cancer, and other respiratory diseases, and that is coming from an article by Gates in 2015 from the New York Times. So Volkswagen had finally admitted that, you know what, hey homies, you know uh, that nitrogen oxide, that cancerous uh, bronchitis and other respiratory disease, you know, causing thing. Uh, yeah, we, so we, we created this thing that like got around the regulations and we've been putting it in the air. Whoopsie, so sorry. Oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing for us. Like, wow, how'd you catch us? Like, what? Why? Why did you do that? I, I am pretty passionate about trying to be eco-friendly, walk places, ride your bike, use reusable things, all that good stuff. And yet this this company, this major global corporation, fully admitted to... I mean, I'm glad they admitted to it, but why did you do it in the first place? Why are you putting these harmful chemicals voluntarily? Why are you creating your car so that you can get around your emission standards? Like, just build a better engine. Or, I don't know... Like, again, I'm not knowledge on, on engines or cars, but like make a better car. <laughs> I know it's probably difficult to make a car or to engineer a car. I'm sure it's, it's way out of my, my uh, wheelhouse, but you're in the business of making cars. And if, if the trend in the auto industry is, you know, to cut back your emissions, maybe you should figure out how to do that the right way instead of cheating and putting out more emissions than uh, is allowed in the air. That's just my, <laughs> that's my thought. So Volkswagen was like, yep, we did that, homie. We put that defeat device in there and all you have been breathing in those toxic chemicals. And at this point, it was just admitted to Mr. Ayala. So no news had broke of this yet. It was just Mr. Ayala who was told this by Mr. Johnson. And that is where we are going to end part one of the Volkswagen emission scandal. Part two is going to dig into kind of the other side of what was happening on Volkswagen's side, how this whole thing got started, what cars were impacted, and kind of the aftermath of this scandal. There's a lot. It's really frustrating. I I was frustrated recording this episode and researching this episode, and yeah, just wait for part two, because if you're frustrated now, you'll be frustrated, your head will be spinning <laughs> in part two. But yeah, so this concludes part one of the Volkswagen emission scandal. Thank you so much for tuning in. I kind of said my closing thoughts already, so that's all I've got for closing thoughts. If you want to stay up uh, on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at scandal101podcast. 
Uh, you find our Twitter page at Scandal101Pod. Find our Facebook page if you search Scandal101Podcast. Our website where you can find the show notes and a link tree to all of our social media and wherever you want to listen is Scandal101Podcast.Podbean.com. And I've been really bad about this in the past, but I do... Like, there is an email set up for the podcast, so if you have recommendations, like, for an episode you want to hear, you can email those to scandal101podcast at gmail.com. Nice big motorcycle just went by. Thank you. Yeah, that's all I have. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope I will hear you listening. That's not a thing. I hope you tune in on Monday for part two. Thanks for tuning in, and this has been episode 12 of Scandal 101.